For those of you who maybe uh, haven't been here in a few weeks, we're actually going through the Science of Mind textbook. There's a, a, a well, uh, yeah, I know, it's kind of <laughs> thick, it's kind of thick, but we'll just do the first four chapters. In fact, hundreds of Science of Mind churches across the country take January often as a kind of back-to-basics theme. And so uh, this week, we're talking about what it does. And, and we might need a word of explanation about the it for um, the first four chapters, I think Ernest Holmes wanted to uh, appeal people who maybe felt a little uneasy talking about the idea of God or a higher power or something like that. And so in the first four chapters, he says, it's just it. It's like, we don't, we don't need to understand it. We don't have to have it figured out, but it is powerful. And so today we're going to talk about what it does. And you know what? I can summarize it in three words, and then we can be on our business. <laughs> well, but would I? Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's the question. So the three words are thoughts become things. And so it's the general idea, if you will, that God takes the impress of our thoughts, those commonly held ideas and beliefs and, and the, the thought pictures and the things running around in our head, whether it be useful or even some of those thought patterns that are not so useful, it takes a hold of those and the degree to which we hold fast to them, the degree to which we embrace and embody those thoughts, God completely co-creates with us the world as we understand it. Now, this is a, this is a huge, if you think about it, because we're used to thinking about it the other way, I think. Most of us see something out in the world and then believe that that's what caused us to think about it. And I want to challenge you on this one, because Ernest Holmes and many of the great thinkers and religions of the world postulate that it really works the other way around that really we begin having thoughts about things. We have a set of beliefs that's true for us. We pick up a lot of our ideas and beliefs, of course, from parents and other people, but we have a core set of beliefs, and that is literally what generates the world around us. Now we're going to talk about this at some level today, but you can imagine that this is a good news and a bad news story, right? If you are like me, some days what goes on in my head isn't necessarily what I want to see growing in my garden. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Every now and then I'll find myself just running something over and over in my mind that is not really what I want to see in my life, whether it be a feeling of not worthiness or whether I'm feeling really tired around something that's bugging me. Do you know what I mean? I think all of us occasionally will have that... that uh, in fact, a friend of mine described it as a hamster wheel going around in their head where some sort of thoughts that are not really productive at all just circle around and circle around and circle around almost as though they're running us instead of the other way around. Now, when those thoughts are positive, this is probably a way of reinforcing what we want to have in the world happen. But when those thoughts are negative, oh my gosh, if what we believe is true, it's like a negative prayer going at 60 miles an hour circulating through our head, and we simply cannot afford that. So today what we're going to talk about is this idea of what we can do to have more clarity and even pick and choose the thoughts we have. But before we get there, I want to talk about one more element of this whole picture 
because thoughts are part of it, but another part of it are, em are our emotions. And Ernest Holmes even talks about this in terms of the law and the love. So he would say this idea of, uh, of God taking the impress of our thoughts and co-creating our world around it, that's the law. It works the same way for everybody. It's constantly in motion. doesn't matter who you are, where you are. It's going to take the impress of your thoughts, those closely held beliefs, and it's going to make sure that you see more of whatever it is. It's going to make sure that your world physically becomes over time in alignment with what those thoughts are. But he also said that there's the element of love. And in fact, that love is equally as important as this law. And the idea of the love being the emotional impact of it for us, that our ability to really know and understand that this is a process that works for us out of love, really out of our own sense of goodness, of, of oneness with spirit. And in fact, let me read just shortly here what he says about this twin concept of love and law. He says, it is an intelligent study of the teaching of science of mind. We come to understand that all is love, and yet all is also law. Love rules through this law of mind. Love is the divine givingness, and law is the way in which it's accomplished. Love is spontaneous, and the law is impersonal. And then he goes on to simply summarize by saying, love may point the way, but it is the law that makes it possible. So it is our love of life. It is the, uh, our own understanding of power. It is us having some clarity on what we want, that heartfelt sense of loving ourselves, loving our life, loving our spirituality. That is the fuel. In fact, the, one person described it as, well, okay, the law is simply the vehicle for getting somewhere, but if you don't put any gas in it, if you don't put that heartfelt sense of commitment into your own affairs, if it's not driven from your heart, well, the car's just going to sit in the garage. <laughs> and all of those thoughts are just kind of academic, aren't they? They're more like wishful, hopeful thoughts. And in fact, later in the, in the chapter, he talks about hope being a sweet thing and yet a poor substitute for knowing the truth. That hope may get us out of despair, but just hoping for something doesn't really cause it to occur. It may make us feel a little bit about it, but if you think about it, when you're just hopeful, there's that kind of seed of doubt already planted with it. Do you know what I mean? Well, I really hope that I would have really mo uh, more money. I would really wish for a loving relationship. But don't you see, there's that little bit of, well, but now? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Is it going to be true for me this time now? You know, I kind of hope so. I would wish so. He says, nah, we got to put that aside. The love needs to drive us into that place of accepting our good with some conviction, some fervor. And that is when the magic starts. That is when this co-creative process really begins to come into full swing. <laughs> So we mentioned that this idea of the law is always working. And uh, I wanted to illustrate this with uh, just a short little joke here. The ride home from church was full of tears. After the baptism of his baby brother, five-year-old Dennis sobbed all the way in the back seat of the car. His father tried to ask him, three times in fact, what was wrong? Were you afraid the baby would be hurt? No, sobbed Dennis. 
Did you think people were going to laugh at the baby? No, said Dennis. Were you worried the baby might get sick being in the water? No, was the reply. Finally, Dennis worked up the courage to explain. The pastor said he was glad we were going to be brought up in a good Christian home. Well, that's nice, said the father. No, cried the boy. I want to stay with you and mom. <laughs> now, now, obviously, obviously the truth was quite different than the thoughts going through this young fellow's mind, right? The truth was he was there to witness something quite lovely, and yet his thoughts, because of what the pastor had said around the baptism, struck fear into him. It's less about the literal truth and more about what we believe in it. Now, if there, I'm assuming there was a little corrective action there, explain, you know, explaining what the pastor meant, and that you know that it didn't mean that that uh, the new baby and the son were going to be put off into a Christian family, which I'm sure they were already born into. But uh, but the truth, as interpreted by each one of us, doesn't have to be a good thing or a bad thing. It is truly our interpretation. It is truly our own belief, our personal take on what's happening around in the world around us and our own thoughts and our own emotional impact, this is what creates our heartfelt reality. So in many ways, it doesn't matter what the numbers are in our bank account. We choose whether we feel rich or poor. It matters less about the living situations literally that we're in we will choose to either feel like, yeah, this is home, and I'm happy here, or we will choose to feel something different. The medical conditions that uh, we all have in this room right now, some of us, when we're probably nearly 100% healthy, may feel less than that. Others of us that may have all kinds of physical things wrong with us may feel that we're healthy and hearty. And I want to suggest to you that we begin in our mind. And the more that we feel, the more that we intelligently understand, the more that we accept with our mind and our heart, the law and the love, the more that we accept what we want, the more of that we will actually experience and create in the world. So now I mentioned that the law is working all the time, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, and if you are like me, my head is full of all kinds of crazy notions, right? How do we begin to attack this issue, if you will, of bringing our mind under a little more conscious control? You know, what I would love is if we were all taught this in school. I think we were all in, you know, at least probably through grade school and high school in this room. Do you remember the class where they taught us how to think? Conspicuously absent, right? They taught us what to think. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we learned about history. We learned how to construct sentences. We learned about English and rules of grammar. We learned all kinds of stuff. We learned plenty about what to think. Well, I would like to enroll us in a school today. I would like to enroll all of us in the Portland Center for Spiritual Living Thinking School. 
And although I, I wish I could say, you know, we'll meet Monday through Friday from, from what is it, 8 o'clock till 4.30 like kids do, I think that would be ideal. We're going to have to make do maybe with an hour a week. But I think it's a place to start. And my heartfelt desire would be that we become better thinkers. Now, I'm going to leave it totally up to you to decide what you want to think. Totally. Because you'll get all kinds of messages out in the world on how you're supposed to look and how you're supposed to act and what your house is supposed to look like and how your children are supposed to be raised and whether Panacera is right for you, ask your doctor. And, you know, any, any darn thing on the planet, someone will give you some ideas of what to think. But I would invite us to be choosy. I would invite us by enrolling us in the thought school here today that we are going to begin deciding if we like what's running around in our mind. And you know what? If this was our first day, really, of this school, I would give each one of us one of those spiral notebooks and a pencil, and I would say, okay, um, so your homework is write down everything you think. Now, I know this is daunting, right? In fact, scientists have shown that probably a couple hundred thousand thoughts a day go through our heads. So I know this is a little daunting, but if you really want to know what you're thinking, write it down, even if it's only for a couple days. And the reason that this is important is we all have fleeting thoughts that are troublesome. All of us do. I certainly do. Every now and then I'll have a thought of, oh my God, what if this happens? How will I cope with that? Or I'll have a random thought around, uh, gosh, I wonder if this is really the right thing I should be doing. Do you know what I mean? Little self-doubts, little self-criticisms. But by and large, they do not take a nesting position in my head. They don't end up in that wheel spinning. But how do I know that? I've actually done this exercise before, and I invite you to do it. Because after a while, as you're writing down all your thoughts, you'll begin to see that some of them form an actual theme. Do you know what I mean? Some of them, because of the quantity with which they appear in your journal, you'd go, oh my gosh, I really think about work a lot. I really think about my relationship a lot. I really think about the children a lot. I really think about whatever it is a lot. Not just fleeting thoughts, but really, you know, like one out of every ten thoughts is about whatever. And then I would further ask you, if this was our first day of thinking school, so how's that going? Do you like what you're thinking? <laughs> are your thoughts of your children one of nurturing and love and how much fun they are and the enjoyment of it? Are your thoughts about your primary relationship? Is it about love and sweetness and what can we do for each other and, and how life is unfolding and, and just the goodness and sweetness of life? Are your thoughts about work, ones of productivity and, and serving clients and you know what, whatever that might be look like? And if the answer is yes, if your thoughts are really positive on those subjects, how wonderful that you've recorded them because you have literally strengthened the idea of those positive and wonderful things. But I would bet that some of us would also find a, a streak, if you will, or a thread of negativity in some of our writing. I bet some of us would certainly find some areas for improvement in our thought patterns. And that's where this school of ideas, this school of thought would come in because I absolutely believe that you 
are in charge of your thinking. Now, that doesn't mean that a random thought here and now might fly its way through, but you have the power to lessen the frequency with which those thoughts are negative and disempowering, and you have the ability, if you will, to begin kind of feeding on purpose thoughts in there that are more in alignment with what you want to see in the world. And, and I'll give you a, a brief idea, because I think this can take one of two general paths. There's the evolutionary course of changing your thinking, and there's the revolutionary course of changing your thinking. And we'll start with evolution first. So any of you that have studied evolution in school know that it's the gradual change of things over time. That, uh, that somehow, um, um, I don't know, the development of, of a rabbit from some primordial piece of amoeba didn't happen just overnight. It's like a tiny little egg didn't crack and a you know, hi, I'm a rabbit. It didn't happen that way. It was the course of, of thousands of years that this thing that we think of as a rabbit today developed. Well, our thoughts can work the same way. Literally, thought by thought, we can begin examining what we're thinking right now, and thought by thought, we can decide, is that a thought that's useful for me? Is that a thought that contributes to my well-being? Is it a thought that moves me forward in what I want to get out of life? Or is it a thought that's holding me back? Is it a thought that's limiting me? And again, from our school position, literally, we could take out our spiral notebooks and look at a few days' worth of thoughts and go, yeah, these are great ones. These are supporting me. And oh my gosh, look at this one over here. Where did that thought come from? And we could begin replacing them, literally. In fact, I think it would be a lovely exercise. Metaphorically, we could look at some of the thoughts we don't like and with a big red pen just, you know, metaphorically scratch through it. I'm releasing that one. And instead of that thought of lack and limitation, I'm going to claim that the universe is on my side. I'm going to claim that the abundance and the love of the universe are here for me in a powerful way right now. And so one by one, you could evolutionarily, if that's a word, I think I may have just uh, made up another word, but, but, but in terms of an evolution, you could be getting rid of the old thoughts and putting in new ones. And of course, here at the center, we have lots of tools for this. If you've taken classes, if you've come to some of our workshops, you know that we encourage journal writing, affirmations, really being the observer of our own thoughts and conditions, um, doing spiritual readings. And in fact, I think this evolutionary tactic, uh, coming here on Sunday, absolutely, is part of that. Because it's like you get a little injection, almost, of positive thoughts and positive ways of being in the world once a week for an hour. All right, on to the revolution, though. Because what I know is that sometimes evolution just takes an insufferably long time. <laughs> we, will, we will get there. Don't get me wrong. If all you ever did was come to the center, um, you know, for an hour on Sunday... I bet after a couple years, you're absolutely closer to God. You absolutely have more positive thoughts going through your head. You're beginning to see changes in your world that reflect that positive outlook. Uh, I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. The evolutionary approach will work. And if you want to get there faster, let's 
get ready for a revolution. I know we've always, uh, all of us have had one before. It's that epiphany. Have you ever woken up in the morning or, or had something happen to you and one minute you believed one thing to be true and suddenly it's as though the light switch went on. And suddenly it's like, oh my God. You know, my, my family does love me, or I am capable of doing this job absolutely perfectly. It's one of those instances where it's like your whole worldview shifts, and though the shift may be subtle, it makes all the difference. Sometimes just forgiving someone, an old grudge will do it. Sometimes uh, uh, going on a, retreat, a silent retreat for a few days will put you in a position where uh, an epiphany can happen. What I know is these make tremendous changes in our lives. And although we can't necessarily um, be methodical about them, right? We can't just say, well, I'm going to wake up this morning and my life is going to be totally different. Although, you know, claiming that might not be a bad place to start, Right? But we can absolutely put ourselves in an environment where an epiphany is more likely to happen. And we also teach these kinds of things here at the center, right? We have taking a class. We have retreats and workshops. We, we do treasure mapping. We do some of the things that will allow us to be in a place where transformation can happen in a much more accelerated way. And I got to tell you, I have seen people in all of my classes change from one week to the next. I, I mean, I'm a living witness to, to seeing it happen nearly every week in my classes. People will come to class one or two or three, and suddenly someone new shows up in week four or five. And it's like, what's different here? You look all lit up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, and they'll tell me about their epiphany. So don't discount your ability to have a radical change for the better in your life. It happens so very often for people. All right. The third thing that Ernest Holmes talks about in this chapter of the book is this idea of doing a science of mind treatment or prayer. And I want to start off with his, uh, his description of it here, and then I'll do a little explaining, I think. So he says, a mental treatment is a statement into the law embodying the concrete idea of our desires and accompanied by an unqualified faith. Right? So it's a little more than having a wishful, hopeful idea. Right? It's a statement into the law, so that's a thought or a belief or an idea embodying the concrete idea of our desires so it's supporting us. It's a thought that is supporting what it is we want to experience in the world, what our goal or idea is. And it's accompanied by an unqualified faith, meaning that you know it's going to happen. You know that by claiming this thing, by having this belief, by saying this truth, that you will not be denied that good, that it is simply for you. That is the idea of a treatment. Now, when you come to one of our classes, of course, we'll, we'll tell you more of the mechanics about how to create a, a good treatment. But those are the basics to it. It's no more than a very concrete set of thoughts that's going into that law thing. 
And it is the unqualified knowledge that it is for you, that you can have, that you will have, that thing that you desire, that state of being that you want. That is the love. Well, now, wasn't Ernest Holmes clever to find this uh, spiritual principle? Well, he didn't, though. I hate to share that with you, because I do love Ernest Holmes, but much in the same way that Thomas Edison didn't invent electricity, <laughs> right? Ernest Holmes didn't invent any of these spiritual laws. And, and in fact, uh, I went back in time a little bit, and I thought I would share this reading with you to see if you may even recognize it. Have faith in God, Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. More news for you. Jesus didn't invent this either. <laughs> the law, the love, the ability of our own minds to be completely creative with God has been around since there have been people. It is our willingness to accept. It is our faith that it's true for us. It is our ability to hold that ideal of what we want to experience in the world and the heart that goes with it, that pure heart of love and faith, knowing that it will be true, this, this is what every miracle is built on. This is what every normical is built on. This is what everything that we do, everything that we see, everything that we experience in the universe, that's what it's built on. And it is simply our ability to hold firmly in our own heart what we want to experience and our own ability to know that it's true for us, to put our heart behind it as well as our mind behind it, this, this is what makes our world either the heaven on earth or something else. So I've been assigning a little bit of homework. Last week, I, I kind of slipped in the idea of the spiral notebooks a little bit, if you'll remember. I said, would you be willing to really take a look at what thoughts are going around in your head all the time? Really analyze your thoughts a little bit in terms of what thoughts are happening in your own mind more frequently, which of them are comfortable thoughts, which of them are uncomfortable thoughts, which thoughts are in alignment. Because last week we talked about having our thoughts and our actions and our words in alignment. So my question was, you know, what thoughts are you having that maybe aren't quite in alignment with where you want to go, where you want to end up? This week I'm going to tag a little bit onto that, and I would like you to begin by editing those thoughts. And here's, here's what I mean by it. If you catch yourself having thoughts of lack or despair, of, of being unlovable, or whatever, neg whatever kind of thought might be limiting you from experiencing the best and being your best, I would like you to just rule through it, either on paper or mentally, and replace it with something that you would like to be true for you. So if it's a thought of lack and limitation, I would like you to replace it with a thought of freedom and opulence. If it's a thought of maybe being unloved or being lonely, I would like you to replace it with the idea that God is love and therefore you are as well. 
And the degree to which you can bring love into the world, it will be responded to in kind, absolutely. So whatever negative thoughts, whatever negative beliefs you have, your homework this week is to begin in the school of proper thinking, (laughs) of turning it into something you like. And you get to decide. Again, our idea here at the center is not to tell you what to think, but to have everyone here be more productive in their thinking. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence in this universe. It is this thing that I call life, and what I know about life is that it responds to our thoughts. That life simply is the response to all of the thinking that's going on in the planet right now. And I know it's true for me. I know that my thoughts are so very powerful, so very creative. And I know for my own part that I've come a long way in this system of editing and choosing. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room. Each person here has an ever greater capacity for knowing what's going on in their own head and choosing and picking the thoughts that they want to be in their head, to be in alignment with what they want to see happen in the world. Thoughts that really will bolster each person's idea of lovability, each person's idea of peace, of joy, of happiness, that each person here will choose and create their thoughts in a way that allows more love, more joy, more peace, more abundance, more goodness to be present in the world. And I know with each passing day, this ability gets stronger. I know that each person here has that ability to evolve and have a revolution in their own hearts and minds, creating a world that is better for them, but also creating a world that is better for everyone. I'm grateful for this knowledge, grateful to be here in the presence of so many people that are looking inward at their own capabilities. I simply let it be and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thanks so much.